Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Above a thrift shop in downtown Coburg are the tiny offices of Horizons of Friendship. This international non-government organization has provided support to various groups across Central America since the mid-1970s. Back in 1990, Patricia Roboledo arrived from Costa Rica to join the staff working with various groups in the region. Not too long after her arrival, she moved up in the organization until she became executive director. For the past 20 years, she has guided the organization to take on projects to help indigenous people women, children, and others in the face of political hardship, economic disparity, and natural disasters. The most significant of those was a $13.5 million maternal and child health program that dramatically changed the lives of pregnant women, young mothers, and entire communities. Patricia will talk about this and other projects as she prepares to retire. Here is the interview done on the second to last day on the job. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Patricia Robledo, Executive Director of Horizons of Friendship. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you very much, Ross. I want to start off by asking you, do you remember your first day at Horizons of Friendship (laughs) in 1990? I remember vividly, vividly because I came from Costa Rica with with sandals and uh, a very light clothing and I almost freeze when I arrived here. I started working March the 19th and I remembered my first day. I was um, meeting everybody. Father Tim Colan was still here. He was still the AD. He left in April and um, I was asking questions and my English never improved that much since that day. And I was having probably understanding one of the secretary who was from Jamaica and she have a very strong accent. And well, around 4 p.m. Father Tim came to my, my office and said, Patricia, can you come to my office? I wanted to talk with you. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to fire me <laughs> because in, I was living before in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, when, when a boss called you uh, at the end of the day, it's not good news. And I was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? I cannot go back to Costa Rica. I have nothing there. I cannot go back to Chile. There was still Pinochet in power. What the heck am I going to do? And I went to his, of, to his of office, I sat, and he said, how was your day? And I said, fine, thank you. <laughs> it was fine. And he said, just wanted to talk with you and welcome you, etc." And he, it was a big relief for me when I heard that. But that was my first day. And later on, I, when years later, I tell Father Tim, 
what happened that day with me and he laughed like crazy. He said, no, 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 no. I just wanted to welcome you to Horizon family and make sure that you feel comfortable with us. Yeah, that, that was my first day. <laughs> now, now, what was the job that you came to do? Yeah, I was hired when I was living in Costa Rica. I worked with another NGO, local NGO called The Producer. We worked with refugees from all over Central America. I worked with them in the 80s when the refugees from Central America, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, were fleeing to Costa Rica. And I worked with this organization uh, working with refugees. When, when Before I finished that work, I met somebody from Horizon through QSO. And um, this was before I came here. And they asked me, oh, they, this ED from Horizon, asked me if I can, they hired me as a consultant, if I could go to Nicaragua and Honduras to give my opinion about potential project. I, I went there, I met people from Horizons uh, on, the, on the way, and later I wrote my report and I didn't, I didn't recommend to go ahead with the, with the project. They were pretty costly and not that good, let's say, and not that accurate for where the communities were located. And after that, it was in, in, 19, in 1988, when, 89, when Horizon was looking for a program assistant. And we have a program officer, but they were looking for a program assistant and speaking Spanish, knowing project, et cetera. And, and I, I was doing my paperwork through my brother to come here as a landed immigrant. And I, I applied, I was interviewed over the phone, and then I was a board member, went to Costa Rica, and I was hired. That was the position, program assistant. And I worked in that position until from 1990 to 1992, 93. And then I was moved to program, 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 no program manager, we didn't have that title. It was program officer. And I work on that position until I became the ED in April 2020. No, sorry, April 2000, 2000. Tell us a bit about yourself. Where, where were you born? I was born in, in Chile. Yeah, I was young from Chile to Costa Rica to Canada. And it took me, it took me a long time to arrive in Canada, I can tell you. I, I was born there and when the coup d'etat happened in Chile, my mother and my two brothers, we, we needed to leave Chile. We couldn't even go near to the Canadian embassy or the Australian embassy. It was impossible. It was surrounded by the military. And the only country who was, we have some connection to a sister in Chile was Costa Rica and it was the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Costa Rica, uh, uh, Dr. Facio. He gave us the, the pass to enter into Costa Rica. And this is why, why we ended there. Why we ended there? If we didn't have any family. We never traveled outside of Chile. We were middle lower class family. And if because we read in a reader's diet that Costa Rica didn't have an army. That was the only reason we ended there. And it was a good reason. What was your early life like? Well, it was, it was, I would say now, now I'm 69, I can't, I can say now, it was interesting. My, my parents work in, in theater. My mother worked with the government in the Ministry of Law, and she have a steady and an income and a steady work. 
but she was a composer. She wrote music, she played the piano, she was a poem writer, and she had a program on radio, like a, like a show every, every week for children. And she met my father because she was hiring one actor, and she hired my, my father. And my father was, an, was a well-known actor in Chile. He, he, cast, he worked in, in movies, in two movies. And also, I'm talking about the 60s. And also, he worked in three programs on radio who were pretty well-known in Chile. Uh, but they divorced. They divorced. The, 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 the Bohemian life <laughs> didn't allow for a good marriage, particularly for my father's time. And my mother raised us. We were six uh, children. She raised us uh, with that small salary. She she was uh, she was uh, she was very good in the sense of the budgeting and all that. We never were without food or anything like that. But uh, resources were scarce, and yeah, that that, that I, I learned a lot through her. But I learned more because she, when I was thirteen, she put me in a boarding school with Italian nuns who was free, we didn't pay. It was, it was free for people who didn't have the money. And, and I learned, even though I hated during the time that I was there, but it, I really thank her for putting me there because I learned my, my best skills, I learned it with the nuns. They were very rigid and very strict, but I think for, for my time and for how I, I, was, I was raised, I needed that. And yeah, that is that was my upbringing. And I left Chile when I was 20, 21 or 22. And because my family is very small, uh, I have my brothers and me, we live, all of us live outside of the country. One, in, well, one live in Montreal now, the other live in Mexico. And uh, with the other stepbrothers and sisters in Chile, we don't have that much of attachment because we were not raised together. Uh, really, for me, my my first country is Canada, and my second country is Costa Rica. Who are big influences in your early life? The nuns, the the the, the nuns. That that boarding school, even though I hated because they were really really rigid and very strict, and they were the ones who slapped you in the face. But with those nuns, I learned. Um, to be consistent, to end, start something and then finish. And if I don't finish, I punish myself until I finish. <laughs> um, and I learned, I learned ethics and I learned punctuality and I learned to do, to, to do things. And, and that, that I think it was a big influence, but also my mother. My mother was the kind of person who said to me, never stay inside of the house. If you wanted to be win battles, go outside, go and fight outside on the street, go and talk with other people inside of the house. You will not uh, find anything, anything that will fulfill your entire life. That that was that was her. She was a fighter. She was uh, no support from the previous two husbands and raising six children. Uh, that that was that was a tough life for her. But I learned a lot of things through through her never to be silenced when I saw an injustice. She, she worked for the Ministry of Labor. And I remember when I was a child, the police will come to our house to pick her up 
to take it to um, to mediate in a big uh, uh, strike with the mining companies or with other workers. And she was really fair and and, and good. And yeah, I learned a lot of a lot of things through through her. How did you get interested in helping people? Well, I think through my mother, frankly, I, I remember my, my I, I do the same thing. I noticed that I, even when I was living in Costa Rica, I did the same thing to my mother. My mother will go to um, stop and strike or negotiate and strike. And then she will find that somebody there, usually a female, a young female, uh, didn't have a job, didn't have money. And she will bring it to our house. We were sick children with, with, a, with somebody who helped us like a, like a, like a, a maid, like a person who will help us with the food and everything. And she will bring another people and she said to us, this is a friend that I found. She doesn't have where to go. She will live with us for a time. And she did that throughout our, our life. And, and I, learned, I learned that, that you have to show solidarity. You have to look after other people. You have to, even though you have little, you can share that little. I think that that came from there, but also when, um, when we have a, a brigade of volunteers in Chile during this, the Allende time, I, I work in my community. And then again, when I went into Costa Rica, I volunteered with, with the Chilean groups and with refugees. Yeah, and, and also in all the jobs that I have had, including Horizon, my, my, the, the job said from nine to five. I never worked from nine to five. I work weekends, I volunteer my time, etc. Yeah, I see that has a very natural thing that you have to do in order to return to others what you have been able to, uh, to to get for yourself. You've talked a little bit about the kinds of jobs you had before you came to Horizon, but that period before you arrived here, how what activities were you involved in that you feel helped prepared you to come to Horizons, to come to Canada, and to do this job that you took up here? Yeah, well, the, the, I did a series of jobs in Costa Rica, like very old jobs, like counting needles for helping somebody to do an inventory for needles for the sewing machine. When I just arrived there and we needed money, my, my mother and my brothers and me, to pay for our little apartment. I was the first to find a job in, in, in a public market in San Jose. Um, the, the job that I have later after that, I was... Um, I was hired by a group of journalists for two journalists from were from United States, and I worked with them. and it, it was a it was a risky job because they did a lot of interview, political interviews, etc. I I learned to do things quickly and to act immediately immediately in an emergency. Then when I worked also for I was the administrator of the Church World Service in Costa Rica. Uh, who, who help refugees and I have to move or call or demands, uh, make demands for food, for medicine, etc. When, when people are in peril. And then I work with this NGO where we do the same work that Horizon support here. In fact, Horizon support one project there with refugees. And, and I, I know the in and outs of how to how to evaluate and how to manage a project. 
how to deal with the humans who are in the project, because the project is not just the budget and the activity, it's the people who are inside. And, and that really helped me with my work, my work here in, in, at Horizon. And because that work that I have there in Costa Rica, listening the refugees and listening, they were tortured, they couldn't work, they couldn't do this and that because they didn't know can imagine a, a refugee from Guatemala who barely speaks Spanish being transferred to Costa Rica? It's, it's like to be in another planet. It's like me in Switzerland. And, um, and when, when, when I came here to work in and I started visiting Horizon Project in, in El Salvador, for example, who was still in war, in war they signed the peace agreement in, in, in 1996. Um, Horizon was the first organization in El Salvador who came with a mental health program for former guerrilla fighters. And this is, this is something that I learned when I was living in Costa Rica. Before you think in doing project in building wells or bringing, building a school or this and that, you have to see how is the mental health and the, 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 the the physical health of the population that you are dealing with. Because sometimes it's not mental health, it's physical, it's physical health. They have tuberculosis or they have other diseases. You, you are not going to ask that those people to volunteer their work to go and build this and build that. It, it's not possible. This, yeah, I was, I find that I was a, well equipped when I came here to understand the population with that horizon support in the field. I'd like now to talk a little bit about some of the projects that uh, you've been responsible for as executive director. And I guess the maternal, newborn, and child health has to be one of the largest and most comprehensive initiatives during your tenure. What was the highlight of this project for you? The, yeah, it was, it, it was a huge project. To tell you, at the beginning, it was $17 million in five years. Then it was cut to four years with the same activities, but just for $14 million with a lot of money, two million and a half that we have to fundraise uh, here. Um, and I have, to, I have to recognize that Dr. Paul Colwell, who is the board of director, really helped us with that project, including with the fundraising, because I told him, Paul, we have never raised half a million dollars in a year just for one project. And he said, no, 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 no. It's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. This is going to, people will love this project. And, and in fact, it was. But the, the, the question was what, what I learned or what I. What was the highlight of that project? Because it was so yeah. expansive and it was uh, so yeah. huge. The, the, the first time I, I went to, to see the location of the project Totonicapar in San Juan Chejul. And I visited visit that, that area with Paul Colwell and, and a group of another 15 or 17 um, donors, potential donors, and, or people who went into the educational tour with us. My God, when I saw that clinic, who basically have nothing, who basically have to ask the person who was in an accident or have appendicitis, please contribute with $2 for to put gasoline in the, in the ambulance or let the doctor, the emergency doctor taking a, a, a taxi to go with the people who were almost dying to go to another hospital because they didn't have um, anesthetic or medicine or whatever. 
when when we saw the conditions of, of, of what happened there, you couldn't refuse to say we have to do something here. We are we we have we have the means, we have the, the energy, etc., to, to do something. And the highlight for me was when uh, in 2000 and in 2000 in, in February 2020 we visit I visit the hospital many other times but we went there they have new ambulance they have built a new new wing of the hospital and they have um, good treatment for indigenous people including even psychologists for for indigenous people who lose their babies because of uh, their medical condition. I thought that we did the right thing here. This is this is what when you saw the, the the beginning of the project and you saw the middle and the end, there is no doubt that that was a good intervention for good Canadians. Violence against women was a central theme in several projects you did over your over the years. Can you help listeners understand why this is such a significant part of Horizon's work? Well, the thing is, I have lived there. <laughs> I know what violence of women is. If you look at, I'm going to give you a very personal example. In 1993, when our former director was, what well, our director at the time was Rick Arnold, we did a workshop with us. We invite a psychiatrist from Nicaragua and a psychologist from Costa Rica who were experts on post-traumatic stress syndrome, et cetera. And the, the psychiatrist was an expert on masculinity, how to work with men. We were in a room, like 30 people, all of them from Horizon Partners and Horizon staff. And one of the questions that the, the psychologist, the psychiatrist asked us to do, close your eyes, Think on when was the first time when you were a child that you realized that you were male and female and, and, and tell me why if you want. And at the beginning, one male said, I realized that it, he was the director of our, one of our partners uh, when I was raped when I was six years old. Another female said, I was raped by a group of soldiers in El Salvador. And one by one, everybody was standing. This is violence. We talk in general, violence is, is terrible in the field for male and female, but it's more for women. Women are penalized for being women, for their sex, for their gender, because they are poor and because they are indigenous and because they are completely dispossessed. And this is something that for decades, Horizon has put up front in their development thinking. Women, violence and indigenous, because that particular part of the world from Mexico to Panama, we have indigenous people. In, in Guatemala, when we put that, that big project, the maternal health project in Totonicapa, 99%, 98% of the population are indigenous people. And, and that, that has been always at the core of, of Horizon program. During years, we hire a consultant in the field to work with all the partners in putting together policies to protect women, not just the women who work in the communities, who are part of the community members, but women who work in the organizations, because the women in some partners at that time, they have 40 staff, 40 staff making $50 or $40 a month. 
and working long hours. And, and they, they, they didn't have anything else. They didn't have the money, but you can give other things in return of money, like day off or authorization to, to breastfeed the babies, etc. We work with all the partners throughout the years in putting all those, those policies. Yeah, it's, it's pretty important. Another big project that you did was migrant workers. Why was it important to you and Horizons to start this migrant worker program? Yeah, that that program, we we start seeing the migrant workers in our community. And because some of, several of us here at Horizon were immigrants too, um, we found that they speak Spanish, etc. And we start engaging with them and saying, if you need any help with translation or with anything, come to Horizon. It started in that way, uh, like volunteer. All of us were volunteering in some way to help them to find clothing with the shop. We offered the shop for free, etc. But it's important for father thing was really, really a, a key issue. Uh, they they come, we we are one of them too. Why I didn't come here because I'm a worker, but I came here pretty lost too. Pretty knowing that I was having a job, I was good, but um, but but to be taken from your country and uh, to bring it to another area where you don't know the geography, you don't know the, the language, etc. Is, 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 is pretty hard. And, and we, we felt that attachment, all of us at Horizon with the, with the migrant worker, they were they're, they're migrant worker, male and females. And we did that just with the funding from the money from Horizon and buying stuff, etc. Then later on the, on the years, we put it as a community program. And we, we, we are supporting community projects in Central America, but we also have to recognize that here at home, there are needs. There are not only needs down there, it's here too. And one needs that we found that group who needed our support was the migrant workers. And others also need help. And we offer vouchers through the, the, the store and support to other community members. But the, the key group for, for us for throughout the years have been the migrant workers. And we have support them in, in finding um, a health, a health when they have health issues, when they, when they need guidance. For example, they are older and wanted to retire and they can access their CPP, uh, et cetera. Yeah, for us has been very, very important to, because poverty not just there is here too, and needs is in both, in, and there is a lot, a lot to learn from them, and they, we can, they can learn from us too, from the thing that we have learned here in Canada. Over the years, Horizons has responded to many disasters in Central America, and you and I have talked about the pandemic in previous interviews. But before we talk about it again, what was the most significant response to a disaster you recall prior to COVID? Uh, one in El Salvador. This was probably 2004, 2005. The community that we support in El Bajo Lempo in the Pacific coast of El Salvador, um, the, the, there is a dam there and they open the valves of the dam to, to throw the water and they ended like in three to four meters of water. 
I remember that another sister organization from Sweden, they hire helicopters to take the people from there. I arrived there, like um, we send money to, to buy basic stuff. They have nothing. But one of the things that strike me the most when they pick me up, one of the people, are, there were three people in the car from in a truck from um, Akudevala, our partner. They, they have the arms with black spots. And I, I, and I saw them scratching the legs. And, and one of them said, we, we need to go to the doctor. I went there two months after the disaster. They have been, these people were saving people from the water. The people who died because of the water. They didn't know how to swim. And they lost the cattle, the animals, everything. Well, they have developed this fungus all over the body. And, and for me, that was, that was terrible. And, and I saw when I arrived there and I saw the damage, even though everything was dry at that point. It, yeah, it was completely devastation, completely devastation. An earthquake can damage certain points of the building. Water damage everything. I, this is why I felt so compassion with people in, in Vancouver when they have this water thing there and they destroy the houses. Water destroy absolutely everything. You ended with nothing. And what I saw there, it, it was the resilience of the people and the faith that the people have. Frankly, these people survived because of the, their faith. They didn't fall into depression or anything because they believe God will come and help them and they pray, etc. And help came. Horizon provide help. The people, the, the NGO from Sweden also provide a lot of help and re reconstruction. We, we provide some help at the beginning, but we focus more on the reconstruction aspect of that community. And that took years. And they took years for them also to, um, to overcome the, 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 the stress and the, and the trauma that they went under. And the, the negotiation that they have to undertake through our partner at Pudeval, with the government because the dam is there. Every time that they have too much water, they open the valves and the water ended in the community. And that happened no only one time, that was the worst, but it happened later on, years later, but now this that problem is resolved. But that is the worst thing that I, I have seen. When we spoke the last time, you talked about the impact of the pandemic on Central America. Can you give us a very quick update as to what the situation is now? Has it improved or is it the same or worse? Yes, I, I will say because we were planning here and continue doing the educational tours, the, the, the country who are better off in terms of uh, vaccinating communities, et cetera, is Panama and Costa Rica. They, they, they are more in control. In Nicaragua, the, 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 the government doesn't release any information that uh, the government of Daniel Ortega. And we knew that probably 40% are vaccinated, no, no more. The situation is not good there. And, and, and beside that, we don't get information through our partners because our, our main partner, the Maria Elena Cuadra Community Center working with women who work in the Maquila has been stripped by the government of their registration. And because they are, they are political against the government 
And, and uh, well, the, the, the situation in Nicaragua is pretty dire in many ways, but also with the pandemic. In the other countries, um, I know in, in, what, in Guatemala, we asked a couple months ago to our partners how they are doing, et cetera. We wanted to go there and say, please don't come, please don't come. Uh, do, we, are, we are still working from home. The, 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 we are not fully vaccinated in the communities. Yeah, the situation is, is dire uh, because of lack of vaccination. We were vaccinated here, fully vaccinated I think, at the end of December. And down there, they, they, they are still distributing the first vaccine in some communities. Um, it's, it's, it's uneven. And, and the government don't give you really data, real data. You find the data through, through the community members or through our partners. But yeah, the situation is, is not good. And also the other part of that is the, the some country, for example, Costa Rica, Panama, and many other countries uh, 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 close uh, ask the people to stay inside of the house. How you are going to be in isolated or stay in the house when you don't have any saving? People live the, the daily life. They, they go outside to buy tortillas, to eat sandwich or to buy sandwich or uh, fruit. And you don't have any saving. You if you don't sell some something. You don't eat the next day, and and that that has been very very difficult in in the whole region in the whole region because there is no support from the from the government, um, and that has been the main complaint throughout the pandemic in in all the in all the countries. Yeah, no no not a good uh, to adding the pandemic to the real poverty that we have before and inequalities has been, yeah, a disaster. You mentioned educational tours. Now, educational tours became a staple for Horizons. Yeah. For those who may not be familiar, what were these tours and why were they so important? Yeah, we, we, we started with them many, many years ago in the 90s with the educational tours because we have donors who said, well, you know, I didn't donate it to Horizon since Horizon started in 1973, even though I, I received the newsletter, received everything, but I never been there. And for us, it was important, the transparency and to show how do we spend the money and to really see the community members and, and to share with them and, and not to go there to as a show compassion or anything like that, to, but to visit somebody that can be our family. And um, yeah, the purpose was to exchange, uh, exchange information, exchange, um, exchange ideas, to know each other has a culture, to know, for example, that the Honduras, the Honduran people have an incredible culture uh, with indigenous, et cetera, and to know, to know the past of the country, to know the challenge that they are facing now. For us, that was important in order to, to have a truly connection, true real connection. And we have done that since late night, the 90s. We have missed these two past year, 2000, well, we did 2020, and we missed 2021 and 22, but I hope we can do something for the 20, February 2023. Many people know about Horizon's thrift shop. Now, what is the funniest or strangest story you can tell us about the thrift shop? Yeah, I remember in, in it was like probably 2003, 
somebody donated, uh, they found in the closet a, 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 a picture. It was a, um, a, a real picture, like a like, um, paint. It, it, in my opinion, it was really dull. I saw it and they were selling for $10. And I thought, no, no, I'm not, not going to buy it. It was like a forest and, and some water, but it was not really attractive. And it was downstairs in the shop for, I don't know, for two weeks. And, and suddenly uh, the person who was in charge of the shop decided to bring it to the mall for, for um, this auction that we have, this silent auction. And I remember Judy Ball, a former staff of Horizon, who is not, she passed away. Uh, she saw the painting, she went and looked at the back and she said, this, this, this is not an ordinary painting. This is, this is something interesting. She, had, she read some marks that the painting had in the back and she said, let's remove it from here. And she took it and she took it to uh, somebody to, to analyze. And he said it was the painting of a famous Canadian painter. And the whole thing was like $5,000. I'm talking about 2002 or three. And what, what I was decided here was to put an advertising in the local paper saying somebody, somebody donate, they, they didn't put the picture of the painting. Somebody donate a picture of a painting to Horizon if you have the owner come here with proof of your ownership and we will return the painting to you, but it's a valuable painting. And nobody show up. Everybody was talking about the painting. At the end, we sold the painting for, for $4,000 or $5,000 at the Victoria Hall in one of the, of the, uh, the, the, the art auctions that we have there. When, when Judy Ball and, 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 and Doreen Gorsline were managing those, those events. Yeah, that is, that is the most in, intriguing thing. Um, all, the, all the stories that people who donate here, a, a big trunk full of, full of tools, mechanic tools, who are expensive, and the manager, the, the supervisor of the shop said, well, I'm going to put this aside because maybe somebody donated by, by, by mistake. And like a week later, a male show up and said, oh, I wanted just to check if somebody donated some so-and-so and they asked and it was, it was, they were divorcing or separating and somebody donated the, the whole kafafu here. But we, we return it to the to the to the happy owner. Fundraising is a major portion of your job, and yeah. there were many campaigns. But one of the many people you might know, I guess, writers and friends, was one of the biggest that you did. Yeah. Who are some of the more memorable authors you got to meet through this event? Jane Ercott, Jane Ercott, and I also met. Um, the mother of Justin Trudeau, uh, Margaret, Margaret Trudeau, it was amazing. I really admired her because she went to the, um, to the Writers and Friends in, in Kingston. And when she arrived, everybody stand and applaud her because of her courage to talk about mental health, who is really important, but it's, diff it's a diff difficult talk for everyone. Uh, that that in Farley Moa. <laughs> he was he was incredible. Yeah, no, I have the 
they have really the privilege and the honor to meet through Horizon so many people uh, here. And, and Farley was a highlight. Uh, it was incredible. I'd like you to remember some people who were involved with Horizons, and I hope you can share some memories. Uh, you started to talk a little bit about Father Tim Coghlan. Oh, yeah. Father Tim, I really learned a lot with him. His patience, his, um, his wisdom, uh, his, his, he was a real priest, a real one who, uh, uh, who will transmit you the faith in everybody. And uh, Christine Stewart, I met Christine Stewart, and, and, I, and I also spoke at Christine Stewart Remembrance and also Father Tim and uh, uh, Judy Bolt. I traveled with Judy Bolt to El Salvador. I really, really like her. Doreen Gorsling. Uh, these are people that I have learned a lot uh, about them and a lot about what they involve with Horizon. They have those incredible skills, Judy Bolt and, and Doreen, and, and they decide to volunteer. And all the volunteers that I met through the writers and friends, Doreen have a group of incredible volunteers, talented that help her. Um, yeah, the, every volunteer, the volunteer that we have at the shop, they're incredible. They have stories from their time at the war when they left Scotland or they came here as an immigrant from Ireland. You can learn the story of the world uh, talking with the volunteers. For me, this is my, my big encyclopedia, but all of those people, including the volunteers from downstairs from the store, have have a place in, in, in my baggage of, of knowledge and love for this country and for the contribution of the volunteers. What are you going to miss the most? I will miss the most to come to the office and to see the volunteers and to see the staff uh, and also to participate in the, in the decision or the knowing about the project and visiting the communities. This is I'm going to miss the most. The, the, that, that part is, is very close to my heart. What are you looking forward to the most? Well, I'm looking forward to, to have a good retirement time uh, and, and to, to offer the skills that I learned here, that I learned in Costa Rica, I learned here uh, as a volunteer to, to Horizon and I also going to go to Costa Rica and, and I'm going to volunteer there too. I have a couple of organizations that, that sent me as a volunteer. I, have, I already have a desk. Uh, but but um, that is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, to spend time with my, my family because I because of the travel and the, the very agitated schedule sometimes, I didn't spend much time with my own family here and, and organizing, seeing my books, reading. That, that kind of simple thing. But volunteer for me is very important because allow you to get out of the house, allow you to socialize and to keep a purpose, a purpose in your life and to return what you have learned throughout the many years. Patricia Robodello, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much, Rob. A pleasure for me. Thanks. That was Patricia Robodello, former executive director of Horizons of Friendship. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. 
Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.